You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, The AfterBuzz Studios in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Maria Menunos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is AfterBuzz TV's Mad Men After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Mad Men After Show. Hey there, Mad Men fans. You know what time it is. We're here at AfterBuzz TV talking about Mad Men Season 7, Episode 2, A Day's Work. I'm Matt Lieberman. Joining me on the panel tonight is the fantastic and talented Miss Sterling Gates. Hello, how's it going? And uh, Joe Sanfilippo's here. Nice to be here with you, Mr. Lieberman. It's a pleasure to have you. We missed you last week. I missed you guys. I had a VO. I couldn't get out of it. Uh it's all right. Well, you know, we'll we'll have plenty of you tonight on the show. Unfortunately, Joe Braswell missing tonight, so yet, yet another week without the full panel, but we'll hold it down in his absence. Yeah, Braswell got hit by Coachella. Yes. He walked in front of it and it hit him very, very hard. It's a big rock and freight train. I persevered. Got you, my wristband Yeah, on. see, Sterling went to Coachella and she's here. Sterling knows how to party. Joe Braz yeah. clearly does not. Joe Braz, he, he can't hang, you know. Joe Braz can't hang, but he'll <laughs> hang with us next week. So uh, let's talk about this episode, this episode guys. I, I really enjoyed it. A lot of great forward movement for all of our main characters. Uh, still no Betty this week. No. Um, but I, I think it kind of lays an interesting groundwork for the final arcs of our characters. And we, we can talk about that as we, we head into uh, the back half of the seventh season next year and the end of the series. Uh, where do we think everyone's going to w- wind up? Uh, we see some several significant personnel moves um, and just slight polar shifts in how people are feeling. Uh, I want to jump right in talking about Don first, of course, because we have to talk about Don, who at the end of the last episode, we were shocked to learn he'd been talking about work this whole time. He's just been sitting around trying to get uh, sell pitches through Freddie Rumson. He's waiting for Sterling Cooper and partners to have him back, but they're just, they're not budging. And he's just sitting at home like a lump, watching the little rascals. And I think the most telling thing, and it was a very deliberate shot, is the shot of the cockroach cockroach. as he crawls and around. Because uh, this this never would have happened under Megan's tenure. And I think it's a a deep sign of what's going on psychologically with him. He's kind of empty. Well, you know, there's no one at home to yell at him. There's no one at home to be like, hey, what are you you doing? And, you know, it's it's a funny thing. I think it it parallels also with Sally later on. You know, when she says, you know, she says, we only went to the funeral to go shopping. And he says, no, you didn't. And and but I think that they both do the same thing. They do things, but they don't really know why they do things. Like yeah. he is kicking it at home, and he. But when Don arrives, he's you know he's showered, he's shaved, he's got he's, he's done up because he doesn't want to give anybody the impression. But he's you know we've all been in that spot though. I think you, you we're actors. We've been there where oh, you've yeah. got nothing happening, and you look up and you're like it's twelve thirty four. How is this possible? How is this possible? Oh man, I gotta I gotta look camera ready in in, in an hour. Right. You know for something that's going to take fifteen minutes, and then I go back home and there's nothing else going on. Yeah, cockroach. Uh huh. Um, so obviously a sad state of affairs. So yeah, Dawn comes over. He gets dressed only to see Dawn and to get whatever information he can get about the office. We learn that she's been kind of spying for him. Like she's been doing her her regular secretarial st- secretarial duties, but he's also been asking her for things that he shouldn't be asking her for, like uh, all the work on Butler footwear. What's up with that? 
Sterling? I, I just think it was so funny. He was getting all ready. I was like, oh, maybe he has something to do. And then John came to the door, and then she, he loosened the tie after she left. And I was like, well, his life kind of reminded me of my senior year of college, just waking up at one. <laughs> You know, watching some TV, <laughs> yeah. a much more depressing version. Well, it's but. all it's all about appearances. You know, we we look at that lunch that he has later on. Yeah, uh, with uh, with Dave Wooster. With Dave and, Wooster, and, and, and when uh, Jim Hobart shows up from a can, exactly. Yeah, so he's still a hot commodity. So it seems like he's just waiting for SCMP to make a decision about what he's going to yeah, do. Yeah, he's still a pretty girl. Yeah. He still well. He still appears to be a pretty girl. He's still he's still putting on the makeup. He's still doing the hair. But ultimately, you know, not having a creative outlet and being just kind of empty and not having anyone around him is is really punishing his psyche. I'll say this: I was impressed. I mean, you know, if you if you're on a leave of absence from a company you're a partner at, you're making the money one way or the other. Right. I mean, the money's built in. So I think there's a temptation, obviously, to go, okay, well, f it. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. He doesn't do that. I mean, he does sit at home and he watches TV all day, but he's also watching the ads and he's trying to see which way the, the kind of like the, the direction that everything seems to be going because he's trying to keep keep on the trends and keep keep track of what's happening. But when, when she shows up, he's not asking her, hey, how was the day? He's asking her deep, insightful questions, and he wants her to get, you know, he wants her to get deeper and, like you said, go after things she's not supposed to go after. Mm-hmm. But uh, what's interesting to me is so he's pushing. He's doing more than I think. If, if he was truly slacking off, he wouldn't be doing all that. But on the other hand... He, uh, she's also setting new limits, which is a sign that he is not in charge anymore. And she right. doesn't see him because she's Lou's, Lou's, uh, Lou's secretary, at least at the beginning of the episode. And so she sees that he's, he's waning in influence and he's waning in power. So she's now in a position to say, all right, I'm setting limits on what I'm going to do. Right. She can now set boundaries in their relationship the way that she couldn't before when he was full-time. Right. Absolutely. I feel like her new position that she has by the end of the episode it will also help him kind of get more information. I feel like she has a higher status now, so that could potentially help him. Well, that's if she's willing to share that information. I I think one of the key things that this first scene set up for Dawn in particular is to remind us of her moral fortitude, uh, which is something that comes in handy and is one of the reasons why she gets this director of personnel position by the end of the episode. One thing that I want to mention about Dawn, though, before we move on is he's somebody who ever since he took on this Dawn Draper moniker, he's been running. He's been running for years, and and once he got settled down with a family, he wasn't necessarily running away anymore. He was running to the top of this profession. He was trying to make Don Draper as real as possible, be as successful as possible within these new boundaries of this life he had created for himself. And now all of a sudden, there's nowhere to run. No one really cares for him to start running for them either. They just uh, and but he keeps sending out the impression I'm still running I'm still or like I'm still in the running I'm still powerful I, I I'm still virile I'm still useful uh, he wants people to know that even if there's no way that he could join anyone else's agency well, well he can't become Freddie I mean yeah. he just can't and and that's that's really the danger of not being in mm-hmm. in the flow is you could become Freddie overnight I mean you got to keep in mind if 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 it's a twelve hour day that they're putting in five days a week. That's 60 hours a week that these folks are putting into advertising. They're studying it. They're working in it. They're working in it. They're working. He is simply not. Yeah. And so every week he is 60 hours further behind. Every week he's 60 hours further behind. I mean, that's you, – you can't put it – I mean, that's incalculable. You how can't quickly, put a price on relevance. That's it. Right. Yeah. That's it. And it's incredible how quickly that stacks up. In a month, all of a sudden you are dramatically out of it. 
mm-hmm. and you have an idea about something that's being published because you're getting this information, you know, by the time it actually hits the, 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 the newspaper or it hits the magazine or it hits the airwaves, you're like, oh, okay, they did that. They've already moved on to the next thing. Right. You know, so you're, I mean, that's really, that's incalculable. Well, in the last episode, Freddie told Don that he doesn't want to become damaged goods, so I think maybe that kind of resonated with him and trying to get the ball rolling on trying to figure something out. I think so. And I think it's been a constant thing of, of trying to get something on the table. I, I think on some level, though, he just can't imagine that Sterling Cooper and partners is able to run without him. It was his genius that was sought after, and it's what you know made them successful in the first place, or at least made them uh, desirable in the first place. And now they're kind of running on their own without his help. It's got to be you know a huge dash to his ego. Uh, you know, let's talk about this lunch for a second. So it's, it's all posturing, right? It's, uh, he's trying to look like, uh, he's in the market to jump ship to another agency. Um, you know, Dave Wooster is trying to suss out whether or not the rumors are true that he blew up in, in this, in this meeting, in the Hershey meeting. And Don's playing all his cards close to the vest, uh, until of course Jim Hobart comes in. And, you know, is basically playing both of them. It's like this weird, like, dick measuring. That was pretty impressive. I got to give, uh, give Jim Hobart some credit. He's that was great. He's got some swag, man. He's like Jim all Hobart's the millionaires over at McCann Erickson. Hey, Don, anytime you want, come on by. And, yeah. We'd and love to make, make you feel pretty. And Dave's like, well, get, get out of here. We've been talking for an hour. Get, you know, get, get, go to hell. Mm-hmm. Dave, Dave Wooster's Don Light. Like, he's just, he's just like a, like a light version of a good flavored Don. He, you know, he's he's just he's not quite there. He's not quite as cool. He's not quite yeah. as handsome. But uh, but he obviously didn't break down in Hershey. At least they're both they're both more fun than Lou, and we'll get to Lou in a minute. Lou, Lou is such Lou. an ass, and we're gonna get to Lou. I've not liked him in his his Mister Rogers sweaters yet, but yep. this was deep, man. Yeah, there's some deep there's some deep hurt. We're gonna get into all the office stuff in a second. I want to talk about Sally because she and Don kind of interact for most of this episode. So uh, one of the most amazing things about this show, and, and and you know you get to see this in some television shows, is you get to watch an actor age over the course of its run. And Kiernan Shipka, when we first came into the show, you know, she was like eight, nine She's years old. Yeah. She was so young. And now, you know, she she looks even more mature than she did last season. Uh, and it's really startling and that striking to see how old she's become. And now she's hanging out with all these girls and they're smoking cigarettes in the dormitories. And uh, she's calling Betty, Betty. Uh, you know, she's really beco- coming into her own as this edgy, probably going to be, you know, like very anti-establishment. Like she's going to when the 70s and 80s come around, she's going to be a very modern person. Uh, but I think it's also interesting when she's stacked against these girls, she's realizing just how strange her life really is uh, in the phone call that they have later on when she's at the when she's at the diner with Don and um, her friend is still talking about the shoes and like so you know like we we you got your uh, your sandals so it was all worth it right the whole trip was worth it and Sally's like wow you don't you don't have anything to worry about in your life do you well you remember I, I remember at that age everybody's trying so hard to impress everybody yeah. else so we're all kind of taking on those personas like. I go, I'm, I'm, I'm so tough. What, I'm going to drop some F-bombs right now, and I might smoke a cigarette. And I don't care if somebody's mom's dead, whatever, dude. Yeah. Like, I remember all that, but that's all posturing. And it seems to me like when, when Sally was was faced with some real life, with Don lying to her, not having a job, with the whole thing with uh, with uh, with Megan being out of the house, and then the affair with Sylvia comes rushing back, and the whole thing, 
it seems to me like real life kind of became much more important than all the posturing with her girlfriends. Yeah. And and so then, but it, it, it's not a it's not a moral equivalency game. Well, it feels like it ought to be, but it's just kids posturing. I think you know that's ultimately what gets lost on it hmm. is you know those girls aren't really that. That for lack of a better word, le- douchey. Blase. Yeah, they're just posturing for each other. They're just trying to be, you know, I'm so tough, I'm so cool. I'm so cool. What and do you I think? think Sally really likes to spend time with Don. I think they're so similar in that when they click like they do, when they when they realize that when they're open with each other and when they're honest, it's so much easier when they're fighting each other mm-hmm. and hiding things. So I think that that relationship between them is what's keeping both of them um, when they understand each other and when they love each other, I think that it's a really strong relationship. Well, I think that's a, that's a very fair point because at least until she discovered the affair with Sylvia, uh, Don was her hero. Yeah. She loved him unequivocally. You know, he was he was the one who had been kicked out of the house by her mother. You know, who she was a big bad guy. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, she made her mother out to the, be the bad guy and that her father, you know, was like the flawed, you know, righteous person who was just trying to do good. Uh, you know, she was her dad. He was her daddy, you know, and then all of a sudden to dis- to really realize what he's been up to and to ha- the depth of that betrayal. We hadn't really gotten to see it play out in full. And this episode was very much about, you know, taking the first steps on Don's part to repair that damage. I'll, I'll tell you, this was interesting to me as, as a dad. I, mean, I have a 16 year old daughter and it's really interesting because when they hit a certain age, you can really talk to them in a way you couldn't before. Hmm. You know, you can actually be yourself a little bit. Now, you can't do it all the way because you'll ruin everything. But you, you can be yourself a little bit and you can kind of let them in. And you can, you know, you can stop just playing the role of father and start being like, well, here's who I am as, as a human. And, and that, that is a, that's a tremendous gift when that happens. And it seems like this was the episode that Don got to do that with Sally. You know, he, he's, he's, his, his guard is down. She knows things about him that no one else outside mm-hmm. of the office knows. And she, she's seen all the stuff. She knows about Sylvia. She knows Megan's out of the house. She knows he's been fired. She knows all the dirt on Don. But he's still Don. So he's still a guy who's got it together. He's still got the nice car. He's still got plenty of money. He's still going to be able to take care of dinner. He's still going to be able to handle her. And so there's, there's that strength that comes from, it's not just the do- job feeding me. It's I'm this. Mm-hmm. I made a mistake. But I'm still this guy. And there's a tremendous honesty in that. And I love that scene at dinner because he's, he's, he's effing with her with like, hey, we're going to run out. We're going to dish on the check. Yeah. And that was terrific just to see what she was going to do. And her face was awesome. Like She was so excited. Like, oh. Priceless, yeah. yeah. She was all about that. And it's great to, to see them inject some fun back into their relationship and to see her respond to it. Um, and, and here's my question to the panel, right? If, if he's easing up and he's able to relate to her better now that she's older, uh, and she knows more about him than just about anybody else, except perhaps Megan, because she, Megan knows about the fact that he's Dick Whitman, not Don Draper. Right. But I would argue that, that Sally knows even more because all, all of Megan's stuff is predicated on the idea that she don't know about Sylvia. But if, if Sylvia, if she knew about Sylvia, the whole thing would blow up. Fine. Do you think do you think that he's going that he's able at all to tell her that he was a different person in another life? Mm. I'm not, I'm not sure. I just feel like when they're together in each of their individual lives, Sally and Don, um it's like the missing piece that was gone when they're not there. Like when we saw him in his apartment by himself, he just kind of had a blank stare on his face, but then when they're together and she leaves him in the car at the end, you can just see that they, he has like a reason mm-hmm. at that moment and I just think that they're like the missing piece for each other. They're ve- I don't know if the, if I to see tell him every to tell her everything. I just don't know if that I feel like this episode was the first step towards 
true bonding. Yeah. It's 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 his most sincere attempt that I've ever seen, really, with anyone. When he levels with her at dinner, I've never seen him more. I haven't seen him more relaxed. Like w- when he t- finally told Betty about being Dick Whitman, yeah. he wasn't relaxed. He was cowed. He was cornered. You know, in this in, in this interaction, he seems very relaxed. He's just telling her the truth as it is. He doesn't have to hide. He doesn't have to run. And I feel like he's on his way. Right. I feel like I feel like when she gets out of the car and she says Happy Valentine's Day, I love you, Daddy. It's a profound effect on him. You know, we know that he he's never been comfortable feeling any feelings of uh, of parental love. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know what it feels like. He felt it briefly for Bobby in that one episode, uh, I believe, last year or the year before when they went to go see Planet of the Apes. Right. Um, but I think it was a profound effect. And I want to see this relationship continue to develop. Well, you know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about it until you said it, but she was his Valentine's date. I mean, he didn't have anybody else, which is yeah. very undone. I mean, he's used to, you know, he's, he's swinging deep, man. He's going to find somebody. He was prepared to spend the whole day alone. Yeah. Or, well, he was all dressed up to go out at night. I think he had, you know, he was probably going to go find something somewhere. Certainly mm. there was a straggler somewhere that Don could Maybe. pick off. Maybe we could find the slapping prostitute from season four. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but, but uh, you know, that she was his Valentine's date, and... and I thought it was a very nice little date they had. But I, I'll tell you this. It was neat to see how similar they are. I said it earlier. I think they both do things without knowing why. Yeah. I think Sally was going on that, 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 uh, that out to that out funeral. Out to the funeral. But I don't think she had a clue why. You know, like, she, the, the shopping was the excuse, but it wasn't the reason. Not, not to me for Sally. I don't think she was that into it. Hmm. I think for, for me it was, you know, I wanna, I, I've, done, I've been that way too, where I, I don't know why I'm doing things, but I know I'm going to do them, and, and I, I guess I'll get to the reason later on. There's something underneath kind of driving me to do it, and I think there's a, there's a temptation all the time for us to find motivation in every little thing that we do, but sometimes we just do things because of inertia or because it's a thing to do or we don't really know why. And I yeah. think with Sally and Don, they both do that, and I think seeing them together was really neat well, seeing him kind of dig her and understand her a little more well let's talk about there's a line that sally says that i think is very very telling uh when she says i'm so many people, people. yeah yeah which uh selfishly reminds me of this great warren zevon song hasten down the wind uh it's the line she's so many women but in any case uh you want to sing I, a little bit of it? Uh, she's so many women. He's trying to find the one who was his friend. All right, anyway. That was beautiful. That was, that was better than Thank I expected. You. Right? It could, it could have been way worse. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen. All the way in the Matthew deep balcony. Uh, but it, she has a point. She it has this posturing self that she she has with her friends where she, you know, pretends not to care about anything. She has, you know, the face that she has to put on for her family uh, with her mother, who's super abrasive, and Henry, who's kind of, you know, this well-meaning but largely absentee father figure, I feel like. And then, you know, the two faces that she wears with Don, the one where she pretends that she doesn't care about any of the stuff that he does and she's just trying to get back to school with this note without any problem. And, you know, the true face of this girl who desperately wants to love her father and have a father who's worthy of her love. Just tell me the truth. Yeah. Just tell me the truth. Just tell exactly when he's writing the note. No. What should I say? Just tell, Just the, tell truth. the truth. It's a huge different. It's a it's it's a wonderful way to to show the way that Don's been living his life and the way that I think Sally has largely been raised to live her life uh, versus the idealist the idealism kind of within what she really wants. And you know, we didn't talk about it, but can you imagine how scary it would be? You're in you're in the city. It was obviously a different time because Lou's 
you know, it's just so funny. They're like, yeah, well, just leave, kid. But, you know, there's no way in hell we'd have a kid show up at somebody's work in, in midtown Manhattan and go, oh, yeah, your, your dad doesn't work here anymore, but good luck. Bye. Right. Like, no. Um, but it was interesting. It, it's it, How scary that must be. Like, you know, okay, if I'm in town, I can go see dad. Dad will give me the money to get back on the train and get home, whatever I need to do. I'll go see dad. Yeah. And dad's not there. Here's, you know, you know, Mr. Rogers plus 30 years sitting in his chair. <laughs> and, 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 and the name on the door is different. And nobody's there that she it's knows. It's kind of terrifying because honestly, if if she went to the apartment and that was locked, right? Then then what? Then what? Do I have to I have to call I have to call Betty, which would be horrifying. You know that that would be you know the repercussions there would just be so not worth it. But also, her dad could have essentially disappeared, and she never would have known. Isn't that terrible? It's a terrible thing to think about. It's like terrifying. your relationship with your kid is so detached mm-hmm. and is so distant that they would not know. That idea of boarding school terrifies me in the first place. I mean, yeah. you, you stick your kid in boarding school, I, you know. In any case. Someday I'll get it, but um, not today. All right. We, unfortunately, we do have to move on just for time. Uh, but I just want to talk about iTunes really quickly before we talk about anything else. Folks, I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast, downloading, streaming, watching. It it, it really, really means a lot to us, uh, not only that you're enjoying our show, but that also we get great, great feedback from you. Uh, you know, we here at AfterBuzz TV, we produce over 70 hours of quality content a week. It's a crazy, huge endeavor, uh, and you're a, you're very much a huge part of that. Uh, all of it is free. It's all free content. You can download it, listen to it wherever you want, at work, in the car, you know, on your computer, whatever you want to do while you're cooking. I like to listen to podcasts while I cook. Uh, what can you do to help us if you were feeling grateful for all this wonderful free content at your fingertips? I'll tell you. It doesn't cost any money. Just go to iTunes. Uh, review the show, rate the show. It only takes a second. We love five star reviews. We do love five, but vote with your heart and with your brain, not just you know. Don't just do what I tell you to do. Um, but it's a five, we're you know. yeah. But legitimately, it, it helps us. It not only helps keep keep the lights on and uh, keep the doors open. It helps us get sponsors. It helps us get great guests. So uh, you're helping not just us, but every single show on the network when you rate and review the program. So I'm just going to do a few shout outs for folks who wrote to us on iTunes this week. Uh, Jeff G. Smith writes, part of my weekly Mad Men ritual. Uh, well done and great content every week. After I watch each Mad Men episode, the next thing I do is listen to this. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Uh, KG, uh, K Garwo says, enjoyable five stars. I enjoy these podcasts and I'm very happy with the speed in which they are posted after the show. Thank you. First time viewer, five stars. Mimi, lots of zeros. There's like 12 zeros. Uh, this is my first time listening to this podcast. I've discovered After Buzz this summer, uh, after the six, season six finale of Mad Men. The discussions are very insightful, and I wish I could be a part of them. Keep up the good work. On a side note, I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only one who thinks Peggy and Stan would make a good couple. Oh, I love hmm. Steggy. Yeah. Steggy. Oh, Steggy. We're big fans. Uh, a favorite five stars from Edit JD. Uh, this is quite an enthusiastic panel. Some of the Mad Men story confuses me, so I appreciate these insightful conversations and varied opinions. Thank you. Uh, fun show by Rogue 9A. What up, Rogue 9A? Uh, an awesome show with great hosts that really get into the series. Started watching last season and really enjoyed the interaction among the crew. Keep up the great work. And finally, uh, Jeremy, with a G-I-R, I don't, I don't know if I'm spelling it correctly, says, thought-provoking, five stars. Love the focus. Obvious y'all love Mad Men. Great cast. Boom. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, please continue to give you, give us your ratings and reviews. We will give you a shout-out here on the show. Okay. So we got to move on. we got to talk about The Office. So much is going on there. Um, let's start with uh, with Peggy. 
who uh, let's let's start in the elevator because she has this this scene. First of all, Ginsburg is giving her the cold shoulder from the start. She says, "Hold the elevator." He's not doing jack. Yeah, what what did she do to Michael? Right, like I, I, he's really really icing her out, and I'm wondering if there's been a rift between them. Uh, since she left and came back, I'm, I, I have to I have to rewatch last season. Well, but Ginsburg season. is a little bit weird anyway, so it he's could be nothing. He's squirrely. a little quirky, so I feel like I never am yeah. surprised by anything he says. But it's not just quirky; he's being downright rude. That's true. He, he's being downright rude. Uh, you know, he says nothing until he's like, "Well, I guess you don't have any Valentine's plans." And then he he says, "You know that she's going to be, you know, masturbating with glumly. a sou- glumly masturbating glumly." That's the list yeah. of things she'll be doing right. this weekend. Ugh, what a horrible image! <laughs> it's it, it, it's uh, really bad. You know, I wonder if maybe I got the vibe. Maybe maybe Ginsburg and Stan had a conversation beforehand. Like, I'll bet you she doesn't even know it's Valentine's Day. I'll bet you she has a grip of work that for makes us to sense do all to week. me. And then when she comes in and delivers, they're like. Like, flippin' told you. Mm-hmm. Well, she's been having it, you know, kind of a rough time since Ted went to California. She had put all of her hopes in this, you know, seemingly very nice basket. It's, the Ted basket looked like a nice place to go. Right. You know, he's handsome. He's smart. He's successful. Driven. He respects what I do. Absolutely. He loves me for my brain. Only problem is that wife and kids thing. Oh, <laughs> stupid. Small problem. Small I know. Teen, teen, teen. Always a struggle. Right. So when she sees these roses on her secretary's oh, desk, beautiful. without so thinking, her ego kicks in. And she immediately thinks, oh, what a wonderful, nice surprise. And then when Shirley tries to explain that they're her flowers and not not Peggy's, Peggy realizes the not-quite-truth and thinks that they're from Ted as some kind of, like, you know, psychosexual move. Like, is he trying to, like, win her back or taunt her or what? But she, no matter what it is, she is not having it. She is not in the mood, Okay. Valentine's Day definitely brought out the worst in Peggy. Oh, and I'm not sure, sure if I don't know if she hated more that the fact that she thought Ted sent them or the fact that he didn't send them when she found out later that it wasn't him. Right. I don't know which one she was more upset about. I don't know if she was just embarrassed at the end when she finally realized they weren't for her mm-hmm. or not, but um it just seemed like either way she was just going to be pissed off. Well, I feel like any, anyone is going to be extremely vulnerable when they realize that they've been exposed right. to a person that they deeply care about who doesn't return their feelings. So, you know, her responding to these fake flowers and contacting him and sending these very passive-aggressive messages uh, and now realizing that they were for nothing and that mm. Ted just thinks that she's being weird on Valentine's Day – she she can't handle it. You know, she's not used to feeling this exposed, this vulnerable. She like like Don, and I, maybe she learned it from him. She likes keeping up a nice wall to protect herself. And it was uh, it was particularly rough. Um, yeah, I think in the end she's definitely more embarrassed than anything else. But it's funny to me. Power politics are always funny because mm-hmm. it's like okay, well I cannot admit that I screwed this up. You have to move, Shirley. She needs the new desk. She cannot be on my desk anymore. Right. And that's just a rough scene. She didn't do a damn thing wrong. She played that out just right. She played it out as well as she could. Um, but uh, but one of the other things I thought was interesting is is that shot where Peggy is drinking and smoking on her back in her office, just like Dawn. Yeah. That was just a straight Dawn scene. And then comes out like like the like 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 a wrath like the like the wrath of God. Uh-huh. And and it was just it was so reminiscent of Dawn circa forever. 
So, I mean, it was just, it was, I love that they, when they draw the parallels. Like, here's, here, you know, it's Animal Farm. Here's, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Well, she, she's th- wearing a skirt, but it's the same, the same drive. But also, you know, being Dawn is a lot less fun when you're a woman. Because you can't get away with the silly, stupid, you know, like, men getting to do whatever they want stuff. Yeah, yeah and I also feel like when Don was doing those things, he wasn't worried about someone sending him flowers. I just think that the parallel between, like, what he may have been trying to forget or deal with right. while he's drinking and smoking is completely different than Peggy worrying about these flowers. He had a large degree of control over right. his emotional life yeah. in a way that Peggy just can't as, you know, a woman in this arena totally. dealing with a man who is married and is actively trying to stay out of her reach. And she has no prospects because she's so busy. But, you know, it's it's that whole thing. Like, what do I really want? Do I want a husband? Do I want kids? Or do I want this career that I put all this time into? You know, why can't I have it all? Why do I have to choose? Well, I mean, they're at the cusp of really of, of, of this movement where you can have it all. There's this, there's this, uh, this happens a few years later. But this idea, yes, you can have it all, ladies. You can do it all. And remember, we grew up with this quality time. You remember that? Yeah. I mean, this is this is right at the beginning of all that mess, which they found out later on, uh, you know, that, that didn't work but you know good try but um but it's a mess it's a mess it's it's very difficult you're dealing with life so- is difficult you're dealing with societal pressures and you're dealing you know you're, you're you've got you women have this societal pressure of being a woman and you actually have the actual pressure of i want i don't want to be alone as much as i enjoy my job when i come home she cried when her, her brother-in-law left yeah when he took the train back to brooklyn or drove back to brooklyn she cried when the guy shouldn't even like him but there was just a guy in the house. There was somebody there for her to talk to. Not necessarily it was it mattered it was a man or a woman, but there was someone in her life for a hot minute, and they boned out. I mean, there's a ton going on for Peggy. There's so much pressure, and and you know what does she say? She says to Shirley, you know, "What does she say? Everybody knows you're engaged." Yeah, you know, I see your ring. Everybody knows you're engaged. Yeah. How did you feel about uh, Peggy's story, Sterling? About the flowers? About the, the flowers, about everything. I, I, it was just kind of, I know she wants that companionship, and I feel like she's so desperate for that companionship, and she's still really torn with the whole um, Ted situation. Yeah. But I just really, I thought it was so rude. I was just, like, really taken off guard with how she treated Shirley in that moment, and Shirley did everything right. She didn't yeah. tell her, and she was going to keep it away from her until she told her to throw him away. So I just think that that really rubbed me the wrong way. So I was, like, not a fan of Peggy's this episode. Yeah. Just the way she handled it, I thought it was really immature. And then she told Shirley to grow up, and I was kind of like, well, maybe you should. Well, and, you know, as soon as Peggy goes back into her office, she knows she right. did and something she, wrong. And that's the difference is that she realizes that, and you can see that. Right, Between but rather and- than rather than apologize to Shirley and move on, she moves her off her desk, right? Because she can't handle it. Well, you know what's so interesting, and so it's 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 uh, I hate the word, but it's 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 pretty it's fairly meta. Is our expectations for Peggy are higher than our expectations for Lou? Our expectations for Lou are very low. You know, the Lou the Lou the fact that Lou goes into Joan's office and says Dawn is off my desk. I don't care where you put her; she's out. Right. Uh, it, and but at the same time, but Peggy, he doesn't even go into her office. He brings her. Yeah, to he his brings office. her in. Right. You're 100 yeah. percent right. And and you know we have no expectations for Lou, you know, but for Peggy we expect more of her. Yeah. And and I think that that's interesting that that the world she lives in expects more of her, and our world observing expects more of her. Well, it's frustrating because Lou brings absolutely nothing to the company, whereas Peggy's doing all the legwork and is bringing all this, you know, this creativity to it, and he hasn't shown to do anything. So it's just that he's pulling rank in all of these situations. And right. He's not, he's not a, he doesn't seem like a real pioneer. He seems like a very, you know, 
buy the book, bring it in under budget, you know, make sure the client's happy, go home, have a drink and go to sleep kind of a guy. And he's not the most polite guy. He's not the most forward thinking guy. Uh, so let's let's talk about Lou. Let's talk about Dawn. Uh, before we move on to Dawn and Lou, I want to really talk quickly talk about the Dawn and Shirley scene in the kitchen, which I just loved. I love their relationship. Um, I love that uh, when Dawn sees Shirley, she's like, hello, Dawn. And Shirley's like, hello, hello Shirley. Yeah. Um, because I'm sure that's happened to them countless times in this office. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that they have this, this friendship is really great. And I think it also means maybe that we'll be getting more Dawn development this year than we've gotten previously. I know that people were very disappointed at first when they brought her in in season five. It felt like, okay, we're going to get a lot of this character and we haven't gotten that much. No, you, yeah. but 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 that scene was great. You know, you just keep pretending that's your job, right? Yeah. You know, and, and Shirley's so mad. Who the hell is sending her flowers? Like, no, nobody's selling that. No, that's impossible. And Dawn's like, you just keep pretending, honey. That is your job, to mm-hmm. keep pretending. And, and, she, and she brought up the fact that Megan doesn't even know that Dawn is laid off from the... Exactly. Right? They know everything and that they're personal about their personal lives, so... I just feel like it's it's funny that they don't the bosses don't even recognize them and they can like interchange names just like that. So it just shows like their position within the company. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that, that's the truth. You're 100 percent right. They're, 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 they know everything and nobody knows who they are or right. cares about them. <laughs> yeah. Right. They can't even sit out front. That's astonishing when you think about it. Like yeah. you all, know all our secrets and you have no absolutely no no clout at all. No clout. No power. Nothing. Uh, but can you uh, just you know go get perfume for my wife's uh, for my wife for Valentine's Day Skip over your lunch? Your lunch, yeah, yeah, to yeah. Get my wife perfume. And oh, then by it's the way, your fault when exactly. Shows up. Right, that was the most telling line for me of all. Was like this has nothing to do with me when Lou's fi- when Lou's letting I feel her go. Like nothing has anything to do with Lou. I feel like he's so irrelevant. <laughs> he, he, he feels like so useless. Well, but he feels like some things have to do with him. Just nothing involving uh, this situation. Right. Right. You know, this is what secretaries do. They go and they do whatever I want them to do because I'm in charge. Whenever I want them to, right. that's my job. And yeah. That's their job. Exactly. But they, you know, if I have to deal with a child roaming around, that's that's not my, my jurisdiction. You should have dealt with that. You should have known. I just you, feel bad for Shirley now who has to deal with them. And then when they were walking out, he was he said, Rome wasn't built in a day. I was like, what are you right. talking about, Lou? Oh, he's probably <laughs> trying to... Ex- yeah. yeah. Just meandering around. <laughs> Uh, I you don't know. I, I I don't I don't hold it against him. His his irritation with with Don D O N, not his irritation with D A W N, doesn't make any sense. But uh, you know when 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 Sally comes in there, I thought he was pitch perfect in his perfect. Just just the realization that that this a hole has not told his daughter that he's been fired. That I'm in his office, completely correct. That I'm yep. here, and here's this kid, perfect. And of course, I have to clean up after this guy. And so I understand his frustration, but it's just it's that complete tone deaf. Mm-hmm. And and you know obviously he's an older man so this is this is you know 1969 so this is for him he's been doing it this way let's say for 25 years so you can go back to the mid 40s and yeah yeah listen lady you do whatever I tell you to do and that's it so I it, but it was interesting that 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 moment when he was so mad at dawn you know what go down the office see Jones there that's a good idea yeah. You know, pass it off. Anybody else. I'm not dealing with this. This is not my job. This is not my job. And also, I don't want to have to feel like an also-ran to Don Draper every day of my every life at this day. company. And his damn daughter shows up. Right. Why do I have to clean up this mess for him? I'm not going to explain to her that he got fired. That's not my job. Right. 
You know, everyone, I mean, Cutler, I think, says it uh, as well. You know, our collective ex-wife that, that we keep still paying, paying, still paying alimony to. Like, can we just get over this Don Draper thing and move on and make business? Huh? Anybody? Uh, Jim, Jim makes a move. That's a move. And then in the elevator... Things do not look good for Don based on that Roger and Jim in the elevator. Well, we're going to get to that. Uh, I want to just really quickly credit Dawn for, you know, making her big move after after Lou says, I know we can't fire her, which is really messed up, <laughs> right. um, saying that right to her face. But she says, fine, well, you know what? If I can't be fired, I'm going to say something. Right. You know? I love that. And uh, she really speaks her mind and is incredibly strong in this tense situation. And that's honestly, that's the moment that wins her this director of personnel job. I think you're 100% right. Joan took a look at that and went, you can do this job. Yeah. You know, you're not afraid of being disliked. Uh, and also, apparently, she can't be fired. But she's got the moral fortitude to do a good job even though she can't be fired. And she's going to do a great job. I'm honestly stoked to see how she is in this in this uh personnel position, how people react to her, how she continues to integrate herself into the SCNP machine. I love it. Okay, so, Roger and Cutler. I, I want to say one more thing about yes, that. I'm really interested to see where the show goes with this, because I think it's going to be it's going to be a tough spot that they, they've put themselves in an interesting position because they've put someone, they put a woman of color into a position of power. And are they going to be truly honest about what the, six, the late 60s would have entailed? Are there, is there going to be some nasty racist backlash? Are right. there going to be some nasty scenes? I'm thinking they are. Yeah. And that's going to be, I think that's, they, they, they kind of put themselves in a really neat position to show, to show, to hold the mirror up a little bit. Well, I mean, there's nothing more shocking and nasty so far than to have Burt, Cu- Burt Cooper, beloved oh, Burt Cooper. Bertram. You know, he goes to leave the office and he circles right back in because he's just not having it. No. Period. They can work here, but they can't be in the front. Right. So I, I imagine that this is not the solution that he intended. No. To give her a promotion. He's going right. to be. I'm excited to see how he reacts to when he finds that out. Yeah. If he does. I feel like he'd. He all, he only notices things when it's I don't know I feel like he randomly is involved in different things but just the fact that he noticed her out front out of all things I thought it was going to be very interesting to see how he feels when she when he knows she's in a position of power absolutely or even when uh, he she has to stand up to him because she doesn't want to make a decision that he wants to right. make uh, I'm really excited to see them clash speaking of clashes we got Roger Jim Cutler. Mm. Uh, we've seen them clash in the past. Last season, uh, it hasn't been the healthiest of marriages. Uh, and they've, they're, you know, just looking at them, they're two completely different styles. Jim Cutler is this, you know, uh, modern, like, essentially, he's like an alien. He's like a modern alien with all of his, you know, junk science and, you know, his, uh, shots of pure speed and like all of that. And Roger is very old school classic, you know, laughing at his kike jokes. Uh, they're, they're not the same type of guy. They're not the same type of executive. And they have two very different styles of management. I, but what I love about it, I love, I love what they've done so much with, with, with Jim and Roger because they are two sides of the same coin. They're both older men, fit, driven, wealthy, powerful guys. But yeah. like you said, opposites. But, uh, but uh, you know, opposite sides of the same coin. They're close enough that, you know, if you line up 50 guys, they're going to be right next to each other. But it's it's just so interesting the flip and the flop. But but Jim, like you said, is a bizarre guy, and we're all gonna we're all gonna do some speed. Yeah. But amphetamines were legal back then. It was it was fun. a way of losing weight. It was a lot of fun. Whatever. I think I mentioned it last season. My father said the hardest thing he ever do was qu- was quit totally legal amphetamines to lose weight. 
He's like, no, Doc, I got fat right here. Come yeah. on, keep it going. Um, but uh, but I love that scene in the elevator. I'd, I'd hate to have you as an adversary. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd really hate that. Would you? Would you, Jim? Would you? I don't think you would. I, I feel like you're sending a different message here. <laughs> and and I don't think Roger's... I don't get the vibe that Roger's really the kind of guy who's up for a genuine fight. Like, no. Jim is. Jim seems to me he's up for a fight. Roger, I don't know. Well, I Roger kind of gave in a little bit with the whole Pete thing in California. He did, yeah, he pulled he on it. And when Joan got her new office and he said... It doesn't really matter what I yeah. think about this. So right. I think that he's just kind of... It's like, do you have a problem with that? Does it matter if I do? Th- right. Right. Yeah, I think he's kind of just g- given in a little bit. There. Well, he's definitely he's definitely hurt. And you're yeah. right. He Well, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Absolutely. He's never had to try for anything. The one time we ever seen him really worried or really try was when he brought in Chevy in the first place when he was trying to desperately get any business because you know, he, he tried hadn't to brought salvage, in any. When he tried to salvage Lucky Strike, too. I right. mean... And he was not particularly successful with Lucky Strike, obviously. You know, so I mean, it's interesting. Does he have a fight with Jim Cutler in him? And does can Don come back if Roger does not have a fight in him? Right. Right. And I feel like now that Don's there, not there, uh, Roger just doesn't really have anyone on his side to kind of do the work for him because they got the Chevy uh, business together, and yeah. it's like they always were kind of partners in crime. And well, you feel like, that in in their in the first discussion between Roger and Lou at the top of the episode when Roger's telling him, you know, someone thought I was a kike. Isn't that hilarious? Right. And Ex- then he just kind of stands there. By the and, way, Ogilvy yeah. signed Hershey. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I hadn't heard that. <laughs> Thanks, Lou. Right? Yeah, it's like, wow. you uh, kill. Yeah, Lou's <laughs> like, you lead an interesting life. Where he's he's no fun, Lou. Don, you know, would have fun with him. And and you're right. He has no allies. Everyone's you know rallying around Cutler because Cutler, honestly, he's a better businessman. Yeah, yeah, uh, including Bert Cooper. Um, let's talk about this uh, this teleconference scene, and we can get into what's going on. In LA. It felt like it was old school Skype, man. I feel yeah. like that way every that time really I got on a Skype conference, I'm like, God damn it, nothing works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, Pete is trying to tell uh, the rest of the partners about this new business that he brought in, uh, the SoCal Chevy Dealers Association. And they're having all this trouble with these uh, with these speakerphone uh, contraptions. They literally call it the contraption, I believe, yeah, the contraption. at some point. Uh, and uh, it's just not working. And then. Everyone in California can hear what they're saying in New York, but New York can't hear California. And, uh, wow, we are light on time. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, uh, we, we got to move on because it's, it's a very funny scene. But, uh, you know, Pete and Ted get to really hear what is going on in New York and the fact that uh, Bob Benson is going to be brought in on this no matter what. And Pete Absolutely. really doesn't have a choice. And, you know, and, and Jim said, Jim said, you know, I can't believe we're actually having this discussion. This is just common sense. Why wouldn't we be discussing with the parent company? And he says, no, this is not the parent company. These are the stores. This is not the parent company. Right. And, and he's right and he's wrong at the same time. And I understand it from both points of view. But Jim's right. At the yeah. end of the day, I agree with Jim. You got to talk to mo- you got to talk to mom and there dad. There are big both. enough Same. fish that you you have to address it. You have to. Otherwise, he just has too much pride in that respect, and he yeah. doesn't like Bob. Well, uh, he doesn't <laughs> and like Pete Bob. Does not like Bob. And yes. Pete was it, so embarrassed. It, it, Pete, mm. the way he huffs and puffs around just cracks me up. Yeah, I love the way he just kind of. Well, new sideburns um, before we get into Pete, I just want to quickly say I mentioned last week I hope that Joan becomes an account executive, and it happened this week because Jim Cutler, Thanks again, being a great businessman, realizing Joan has two jobs and she's got accounts, she's been working exclusively on those accounts. Great for Jim, great for, for Joan. Joan. I love the way Hamlin does that, by the way. Yeah. He's in that scene, he's just like, just like the thing. He's just like, oh, he's, he's realizing everything in real time. Like, 
Why, why do you have two jobs? Yeah. No, you shouldn't have two jobs. There's an office upstairs. And then takes care of it. And yeah. Of it. And in that moment. The choice is to realize it as he's going along and playing that bizarre character. Like, I'm going to go. Yeah. Like, I love that. That's All so right. interesting. I just okay. want to say that. Uh, let's talk about L.A. So uh, Pete having some serious career dissatisfaction, but uh, new romance in the form of Bonnie. Say, um, who, he may be mad, but he's getting it in the office. He's getting it in the office. In the office. Um, but what I love about her is she is a great partner for Pete because yes. she loves she, she loves sales as much as he loves sales. He comes into that scene in, in her, her little house that she's selling that little little garbage yeah. box house she's going to sell in Altadena. Treating her like Trudy. Right. Or, or, right. Yeah. yeah he's, and he's, he's like, oh, well, you know, it's a big, big thing. And she's like, listen, uh, here, this this just happened to me. $108,000 house, which is 1969, was a pretty expensive house. Yeah. And I, I could have lived three months off, off that off that commission and it fell apart. And that's just the way it goes. Too damn bad. And she's turned on by the fight of the sales. That's what the vibe you got from... I got anyway. Exactly. Is that she's yeah. like into it and she's energized by it. And so is he. Yeah. He Which, loved it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Which I'm just like, go Pete and, and go Bonnie for finding someone in this world. Because how many people in, in the world of Mad Men are actually matched up with somebody who feels the same way about them, who they have something really in common with? We thought we had that with Ted and Peggy, but it just doesn't happen. Um, another thing we have to talk about before we wrap up, we're running out of time, is his monologue when he's talking to Ted. Uh, and just basically realizing that there's nowhere else for him to go yeah, within this company. Best case scenario, I go across the hall. Your office is just a little bit better than mine. And Ted, Ted, I love Ted. Oh, uh, you want my office? You can have my office. Yeah. Just, like, just take the money. You're take the money. Anyway. You're going to die anyway. <laughs> yeah. Another reference to death. And yeah. Pete Campbell, will right. he kill himself this season? We don't know. That was talked about last year. Okay, we have to wrap up. Uh, any any quick predictions, guys? Oh, I don't have anything. It's just going right. to get really good. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, we're, we're going to talk about this next week. Sterling, where can the people find you? You can find me at Sterling Cates on Twitter and Instagram. And Joe? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at Joe Filippo, J-O-E-F-L-I-P-O, and my website is josephsanfilippo.com. Okay, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Lieberman, M-A-T-T-L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N, After Buzz TV, Orphan Black, Resurrection, Playing House. Uh, I just want to thank everyone for joining us today, and we will be back next week. Good night. Boom. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.